what's your selling approach like? Are you selling in a way that your customers want to be sold to? From our research, only 10% of salespeople sell in a way that customers want. But what do customers want when they're being sold to? It's no secret that here at Consalia, we've embedded the sales values and mindsets that customers want to see in salespeople into everything we do, from our sales business school through to our sales transformation offering. We found that the key sales mindsets that you need to have are, first of all, authenticity and client centricity. These are the foundation blocks that every salesperson should have. It's the ability for a salesperson to be one's true self with the customer and putting them at the heart of all their sales activity. And proactive creativity and tactful audacity are the differentiators. These are the main values that will set apart one salesperson from the rest. It's the potential to come up with new ideas that customers have not thought of themselves, as well as the art of knowing how far to go without going too far. So how do you know whether or not you've got them? We have a very simple mindset survey to see if you possess these key values. It's really straightforward to use, will only take a few minutes to complete, and you'll be sent your results straight after. You may be just a bit surprised at the results yourself. Check out the show notes at the end of this podcast episode. What you do with the results next is your choice. We're happy to dive deeper into these results to discuss what they mean, or even explore the idea of finding out if your customers see these key values in your approach. If you would like to learn more about the sales mindsets, get a copy of my latest book, Selling Transformed. It's available on Amazon and at Waterstones and Foils, where we go deeper into the topic. There will be links to both the book and the mindset survey in the show notes. Now let's get on with the episode. So I'm delighted to invite uh, Bianca Portulan to the uh, next podcast. I've known Bianca for a number of years when she was originally working with Hewlett Packard um, in their large deal bid pursuit team, which is where a lot of my original doctoral research actually started. Uh, Bianca then left HP and um, uh, ended up in a sales transformation role at, at Nokia. And I think what Bianca brings to the topic of sales and sales development is this notion of transformation. How do you take an organization and help transform it um, through new technologies, through new working practices to achieve uh, sort of better results? Um, So Bianca has effectively sort of bridged the gap between consultancies that um, have been involved in setting strategic direction and actually making it work. So she possesses unique insights into that particular journey. But it's interesting that her career has taken her into this whole area of coaching and coaching for sales transformation. Um, And so as a a coach, you'll be talking about a coaching practice and how that's evolved and uh, really looking forward to this next podcast with Bianca. So Bianca, huge thanks for taking part in the podcast. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. That's a, a, it's, it's, it's just fabulous. And um, I think before we get started on, on the topic of coaching and transformation, it would be great for our listeners if they could know a little bit more about who you are and your background. Okay, perfect. So I was uh, born and, and raised in, uh, in Brazil. My mom is from a German family and my father is Italian. So I was born in this multicultural uh, German-Italian uh, family. I hold dual citizenship, Brazilian and Italian. And I come from a banker's family. So my, my uncle and my godfather, he was... Um, uh, he held multiple um, important leadership positions in the financial services industry. He was a Harvard alumni, a finance professor, and he kind of steered my career towards banking. And while in business school, I already got my first internship um, in the Bank of Brazil. I started working for them. Then I moved to Crédit Commercial de France that was acquired by HSBC. And then afterwards, I joined JP Morgan. And at that time, my idea was go to New York 
and I wanted to take a certification in finance and then following in the sequence, I want I wanted to take my MBA at NYU. So it was my, you know, like New York was the sweet spot for who wanted to become a banker. And um, and that's and that's the, the, the path I, I carried on, except that I arrived in New York on September 10, 2001. So on September 11th, I was walking down as a tourist very early in the morning, going down Fifth Avenue when when uh, the first tower came down. So I was in the crossing wow. from 23rd and 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 uh, 23rd Street to, uh, in the crossing with uh, Broadway and and uh, Fifth Avenue. What did you you know? What happened? I mean, how? I mean, it must have been just a an incredible thing for you to have yeah, witnessed that, was, that that was a, a very shocking moment in the moment you see it you don't know exactly what's going on i just saw people throwing themselves on the floor and screaming and then someone passed saying um there there were hijacked planes all over and the pentagon was attacked and i was just like oh my god is this a war what is happening and then your whole life passed like a movie in your head. And it was like, where am I? What's going on? And that was a very transformational moment for me internally. And I mm. remember walking that day. Uh, I was watching the people coming completely full of dust, walking. And I was with my best friend. My best friend was with me. And we were like, where do we go? Uh, what what is happening? Is are we gonna be bombed? What's gonna be happening here? And then we went to Central Park and we sat on the grass, and we we I, I couldn't go back to the apartment. I was really afraid. And you start thinking. And that year you cannot leave because they closed. I don't know if you remember they closed uh, Manhattan. Sure. All yeah. the bridges were closed, so you could not go anywhere. You could not fly anywhere. You, you just could not. You had to wait. And then there was uh, uh, delays. There was like weeks waiting. The, the stock market closed for one week. There was already a crisis in the financial services going on. So it was not, I wasn't maybe the, the right place, but in a complete wrong moment. And that completely uh, shifted my career because then it was the time that I was thinking, what do you want? Do I really want to do? What are the elements that I really want to pursue here? I I stayed. Uh, I continue because I was uh, I had my studies all set to do the, the the certification in finance at NYU, so I did it. But at the end of this, um, banking didn't seem to be the career I wanted to pursue. And I started rethinking everything. I had this whole full year to think about it. And then I called a, a professor that was my mentor at the university. And I told him, I said, I, I really, I'm in this period of definition what I, I want to do next. And then, but I, I, one thing I was sure, I wanted an international career. I really wanted to see mm. the world and, and, and see how the world did business. That was really my driver. And um, I was very curious. I, I was always curious. And then he told me, how about France? And I was like, France? And he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm coordinating because he was Belgium, this uh, professor. And he told me, I'm, I'm coordinating this uh, master's uh, degree in France in international business. Does it, how does this sound to you? And I said, wow, that's interesting. You need to learn French. So... I just learned French. I, I started learning French like crazy, taking lessons. <laughs> so I passed the proficiency exam. I did my applications. I was approved. And then I, I moved to, to France. And, um, and that was really a beautiful journey because it's completely opened different doors for me. Mm -hmm. So I did my master's. And then afterwards, I started working for Hewlett Packard. So I started my journey, my journey in HP, 
And the reason HP was interested in my profile is because at that time they wanted to give an industry flavor to their outsourcing offer. So uh, they were really verticalizing it. And I was coming from financial services. I was coming from banking. So they wanted my knowledge in banking in a way to make it more tailor-made propositions. And so I started working in this, uh, in, in marketing uh, at the time, market development. And then I moved, they were uh, forming this mega deal team to pursue large outsourcing deals. Deals, and then I moved to Paris, and I joined this team. And there, there's where I met my dream team, all those inspiring mm-hmm. people that you know, <laughs> right, Phil? And that's when uh, I worked. I had the pleasure to work with Consalia in in uh, in really in the the thinking outside the box initiative because we were rethinking the way we approach. We were really transforming the way we. Uh, we we were designing our value propositions and and our pitches. So and we wanted to reduce our qualification cycle, our deal qualification cycle. So it was a period of a lot of learning, very dynamic. I was in London all the time, from Monday to Thursday. I was in London, and, and the, I was living in Paris. And uh, we worked at the Gherkin building at the time. So it was uh, very uh, years that I, I have many memories with. And then um, I started my executive MBA, YONHP, and then EDS came on board. I think 2009 was that. And um, when EDS came, I decided to pursue then this opportunity in Nokia, joining other HPs that had moved to Nokia. And I joined Nokia then um, in 2010 as head of business operations and strategy for global services sales in Europe. So, and uh, that was a difficult year also for Nokia. Uh, Nokia was facing uh, difficulties at the time. And Nokia is known as a company that reinvented itself for many years, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it was in rubber or something to begin with. Was that right? Or a completely different... Tires, that's right. Rubber tires. And then it uh, became the company it did. So, incredible. Yeah, but you weren't working. A, you weren't working on the mobile phone side, were you? You you were working on the network. Yes, I was working network. at Nokia Siemens Networks. Yeah, and um, it was the joint venture with Siemens at the time. And in 2014, when Nokia sold the phones, um, Nokia also bought the shares from Siemens, and that became a whole shift in the business, and it became Nokia as one thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I went through all those changes with Nokia. Um, uh, then I moved afterwards as head of sales operations for uh, the global customer business team. Um, and it was, again, a, very, a period for me where I did so many positions in sales and I was doing mm-hmm. sales enablement. And uh, so it was... Um, it was really uh, another learning journey for me. And uh, I was at the time, uh, I was the single point of contact for Nokia Transformation. And Nokia Transformation was a team that was built up as this A team that reporting to a board member to drive transformation initiatives across the globe for Nokia. And so I started in 2015, I joined them. So traveling around the world uh, to drive transformation in initiatives in all sorts. We're implementing um, continuous improvement initiatives, uh, increasing top line. Um, we did implementation of matrix organization and all sorts of things. It's incredible, the uh, variety. And I think you were working as a point person to the consultants involved in the transformation and you were working with them as well as with, obviously, the the Nokia board. Yeah. 
Yeah, there were there were uh, multiple consultants that were uh, supporting okay. us at the time, and um, yeah, McKinsey was one of them. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So your your uh, sort of role within transformation is quite broad. I mean, the kind of projects you described there were sort of fairly varied, um, from enablement, I guess, to you know many other things. Uh, that, so, so you're brought in. Was was that was that mainly to affect the results of transformation initiatives that were taking place? You know, you were the kind of project lead on it. You know, working with teams of people to make it happen. Yeah, I was uh, in uh, some initiatives. I I was leading in some of them. I was I was part of the team and supporting it. Um, and uh, it depends because it was six years, right? And um, as a learning out of it, also uh, feel if we we make analysis of uh, all this journey. Um, and, and if I draw the line, also what brought me to coaching uh, is you can, uh, organizations tend to focus on the, the business per se, right? You, you, you make good business cases and you present it, but the, the people element of it is very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can make a parallel what is happening now with digital transformation. So you can implement digital transformation, but just in a fast way. But your people are two steps behind and you need to bring them up to speed. So if you focus on the business and you don't, you forget that there's no business transformation without individual transformation. So you need it, it in the other end, you need someone to do their job differently. Absolutely. And that's what transformation is about. Yeah, it's it's so interesting that, that we're sort of approaching the same topic um, from, a, I would say, a, a different perspective. Um, so when we talk about transformation, we we you know, we often say that the you won't get transformation unless you transform the people, you know, within an organization exactly what you've said. But our context is quite different to yours. Um, yours is from a, a sort of strategy down, you know, how do we get the strategy of Nokia to be implemented across, you know, different geographies? We've predominantly been working with people in the sales organization who have to execute strategy. And we've often met with senior sales leaders who've talked about their frustration and the time it takes between, you know, taking a strategy that may be agreed at board level and executing it in the field. And that, you know, maybe years, you know, you have a dream of, of, you know, like you say on PowerPoint slides, it looks quite, quite quick, you know, quite easy. Well, this is what it will be. (laughs) But... um, you know, it takes it takes much longer than you think. And I, I think that, you know, this culture, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, you know, you know, we quite often hear that kind of term. And I think it's so interesting hearing you say what you've said, but have come to the same conclusion, but from a different pathway. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really interesting. And, and that's why I was writing about it, like, um, my paper for Columbia uh, during my certification was the role of coaching in large business transformations. And what I talk about is the, 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 there are many elements um, in, in, in transformation. You, when you have your business, real business transformation, where you put your business case there and you have a strong change management plan where you really address the people side of change, right? How mm-hmm. you are going to build your coalition. You're going to have a simple vision that you're going to advocate, advocate that you're going to focus on your middle management because this is the biggest focus of resistance is middle management because mm-hmm. we focus on the board and the board is in it, but then you need to scale down. That's what you're saying. It needs to happen in the down in the field, and Absolutely. that's, you need 
your army of change agents that really need to advocate, you need to neutralize your mid-management and they need to then scale down. It will never come only from the top. It is not going to work. Yeah. Because it's going to stay on the top. Yeah. I think before we we sort of go into maybe some of the conversation about the connection with coaching and transformation, um, could you, you know, if you were to look back on your, you know, really amazing career that you've had, you know, uh, but maybe particularly at Nokia, what would you say was the most successful transformation project you've ever been involved in? You could go back to HP. You could go, you know, maybe not just Nokia, but what would you say was the most successful? The most successful one, I think it was the implementation of Kaizen that we did. And it was actually uh, an initiative that was already happening in one of the markets. And we just took it... um, I wouldn't say it's the most, but some uh, initiative that really we saw the results of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we we cascaded. Uh, we did some, some um, um, we, we cascaded as a, a, a global initiative. Uh, and that I would say, because it was already proven in one of the markets, so we had a success story. Um, okay. It was a market had it already implemented, so it was easy to prove to other markets that was working, and then we cascaded initiatives. So we had already the support in there. Okay. So it was it was really interesting. And uh, so, so would you say that that sort of um, the early win, you know, the early win, the proof, you know, the proof of concept, I suppose. You know, in that particular case, you know, as a as a as a as a trigger for transformation is, is certainly in that example is what made it so successful, and is therefore a key element of success in any transformation that you want. That you need to be able to demonstrate success, and prove to the skeptics maybe or the people who don't want to change, you know, that actually there there is something that can change. And here's an example of proof. If you you have a proof of concept, of course, to deliver the benefits, it's it's much easier. You have a success story, right, to tell. But sometimes you don't, do you? Sometimes you don't have a success story. So you've, you've got to create it. You need to create it, and then you 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 choose markets or business groups or whatever the the concept is to make um, a, a demo. Uh, you as a, a trial and then you agree that uh, we are going to take your market and we are going to test this because it's something that is beneficial and we are we want to test the concept and then you build up from there you cannot cascade something without starting small and checking if you have a proof of concept yeah otherwise so, you so... Go... <laughs> we go around the world <laughs> to do this yeah it's risky it's risky it's a bit of a risky element yeah yeah um it's uh but sometimes people you know i think where some transformation projects perhaps fail is that um they they you know they they don't test it they they don't have enough time to actually Mm. make change happen and so they take shortcuts and and they you know they sort of have an idea and and then they sort of sheep dip everyone in this sort of transformation pro- project that takes place, but it kind of falls apart because it hasn't been perhaps as well thought through as it needs to be. Um, so I think this element of time is also important. Yeah, and that's that's why you cannot call transformation something that is implemented in three and six months, right? This is plug and play levers that you perhaps are going to get your numbers or some results uh, in three to six months or make your quarter. But if you want the new habits and the new levers to be really sustainable, this you are going through a culture change. And this is a journey you cannot yeah. do in three, six months. And I, I guess this cultural change, you know, perhaps we can sort of move move sort of more into the coaching, which is obviously a key element, isn't it, of of 
of the success of any transformation project. Um, you know, this is perhaps what's drawn you into coaching. Uh, I mean, you've, you, it's interesting because you've come from, you know, a very numbers background. You know, if you go back to your banking, you know, days and sales operations, you know, quite numbers orientated, I would imagine, quite analytical, you know, dealing with these consultants. But but you sort of, your career has now sort of shifted to people, um, but still connected with transformation. So it's been very interesting to see how this this piece of your jigsaw is sort of coming together now. Um, yeah. So what happens is what shift me to coaching was a situation I had with one stakeholder uh, during my transformation journey. I had my um, uh, my main stakeholder in a, in a, in a, in a in a transformation journey I was leading and and. I was not really, he was in panic mode under, under a lot of pressure and I was not really, uh, I was not being able to make him to, to shift his thinking in a more strategic, critical, because he was really not, uh, thinking clear to make decisions and he knew the results he wanted to get and we needed to design the journey to get there. Right. Um, and I was really struggling with his, uh, the way he was seeing the whole thing and the way uh, with his anxious behavior, he was really in, in extreme anxiety. And then I called my, my, my boss, my manager, and I said, I'm really struggling here. I, I, the, the thinking I need to drive, the decisions I need to drive to move forward. I'm not succeeding. I'm not getting there. And then uh, he said to me, you need coaching skills. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, like, I, I was expecting a very straightforward question. <laughs> said, you are, I'm going to take you to the, co- the coaching training. And uh, this was years ago, right, when I started. Um, and then I went to the coaching training. And, and, and it completely opened my mind to behavior change to the way people take change and the way they the with the anxiety and 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 the resistance and and resistance is, is a natural reaction to change and and it completely changed the way i saw uh the way leaders were conducting change and the way some leaders that were being driven by the change they were reacting and, and, and the way they were behaving in the full context. So it really, I dove into a pool of a complete different perspective. And that's what uh, drawn me into coaching. So I did the first certification, then I did the second one. I started coaching internally, extensively. And my approach to transformation changed because then I, I started mm-hmm. really focusing a lot on the people behind it and why, where those resistance were coming from. Are, do we have the readiness of the organization for this change? Do, are we thinking the element? Are we communicating in a proper way? Do we have the right vision? Are we really establishing why we need to change? What is in there for me? Are we providing the people with this element? Are they understanding mm-hmm. how their job is going to be affected? So, and those those elements of, of um, the ADKAR model, right? It is the individual change. Do you have the awareness, the desire, the knowledge, the ability, and the reinforcement? Are we going through these five elements to really drive change? Hmm. So it completely opened up my, my way of seeing it and, and my way of driving initiatives. So, and, and that's when I, I then, um, I, I, I did volunteerly coaching internally. And then after I did um, Columbia, I followed it. And um, I did the, 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 the master coaching and the advanced coaching. And that's, that's how my jo- whole journey started. <laughs> so is your, is your um, kind of interest now, is this sort of connection, you know, because you've set up your own coaching practice and it's the, it, is it, you know the connection between coaching and transformation, or is it coaching in a in a in a more general sense? I mean, what what's your, you know, where do you see this journey sort of developing into? 
Yeah, I started now my my own practice uh, where I do executive coaching and team coaching. And my approach to coaching, uh, what makes my approach to coaching different is my business acumen in behavior and, and, and business transformation, right? Um, that's that's where I'm going. Of course, my business acumen is in change uh, and transformation from a business per- perspective and from a human perspective. But my coaching approaches any topic. So hmm. we discuss multiple topics uh, in 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 the coaching, from improving leadership skills, doing different assessments on on thinking uh, your thinking style, your decision style, or your emotional intelligence. And of course, the hot topic of the moment, because we are in this VUCA environment, right, is really. Hmm. Um, is really changed and because people in those past uh, two years, right, that we've been in the pandemic went through changes they never in a very fast period of time through multiple Absolutely. ups and downs. <clears throat> uh, <coughs> pardon me. And we still haven't uh, really seen the, the fallout if they're, you know, what the fallout will be, you know, of the pandemic from a mental health point of view and from a you know a a capability point of view and um, people's capacity to accept change is is interesting some i I, i'm sure you know some people are thriving on it they love the ambiguity of change and they they swim in it and they they love the uncertainty of where tomorrow is going to be but others actually do need um, a system and a structure and that a lot of that's been taken away you know with the pandemic um, so it's it's going to be very interesting to see what the role of coaching will be, well, both now and 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 as it emerges. It's quite interesting that uh, it'd be interesting to have your your comment on this. We had a um, a lady on on the podcast. I don't know if you've listened to her, Carol Pemberton, and she um, you know, her speciality was resilience. And it's interesting when you talk about this mentor that you had, you know, in, in, in the business and, and how she felt she needed to understand resilience more because it wasn't a, a word that was used a lot in business uh, years ago. And now, of course, it is. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see how people's attitudes to coaching perhaps are changing. I don't know if you've got a, a point of view on that, whether it's becoming more widely accepted or whether people are slightly, you know, I don't need a coach, you know, I'm a successful leader. You know, it's uh, it'd be interesting to have your point of view on that too. Well, it's it's proven also by some studies. Anthony Grant in uh, 2013, he released I study where he took an organization that was going through multiple uh, changes like a reorganization, merger, and, and he took 38 executives and, and, and the study was about putting those executives uh, through coaching sessions. It was four coaching sessions and he would measure qualitative uh, results before coaching and after coaching. Um, and, and when he measured the results, um, it was each coaching session, of course, the coaching session was really, uh, there, there was an, the whole program, there was an objective, right. Uh, related to, to, to the change that was going on. And, uh, but they wanted, uh, to improve the leadership skills to, to improve the strategic, uh, thinking, the, the resilience, the, the, the readiness for change. And, and, and they could prove that, uh, with a study, there was a significant change because, um, the, the, the safe, uh, the safe space that is provided in, in doing the coaching for the leader or, or the, the executives to think the process, to get self-awareness, to really define where they are going, to really see the change. What is the real opportunities here? What is in there for me? How I'm going to drive my team? So is that your thinking? Th- coaching is your thinking time, 
right? And a coach mm-hmm. is your thought partner, is someone that is really not going to teach you something, but is going to make you, um, it's going to drive you to think things in a different perspective. So it's, it's going to challenge you with questions and, and you see a big problem, let's slice it up right? Is this a real problem that you're seeing or is the symptoms of something underneath? And, mm-hmm. and in my coaching, that's, that's exactly what I try to do. I, I tried, I use some design thinking or uh, problem solving skills like critical thinking to shift the thinking of the person in front of me to in a, that they think in a different perspective. Sometimes when you're thinking by yourself, you're pining, you're pining. So the coach needs to take you out of that mode and see things in a different way. And sometimes you do, there are techniques in coaching, you ask something completely out of the blue, right? Only to shift the thinking and then you go back. So Mm -hmm. now that you are, and and I love the miracle question because when you are always, in this, you see always problems instead of seeing solutions, right? Mm-hmm. There's some people that are, are so clear. They, they come with the problems and that's, no, because I have those problems, I cannot do that. I cannot, no, I cannot do that. And then you just say, okay, if there's nothing, if you have no problems, what would be then the solution? And then you yeah. see the, expand the thinking of the person and then you start drawing to reality and what is possible. But you need that expansion so to, to focus a bit on a solution that is not blocked all the time. But that's the role of the coaching is to give you self-awareness also in your limits and what you can overcome and give you a bit the growth mindset that you learn skills, you have this capability, that the neuro- neuroplasticity of the brain, right, is your capacity mm-hmm. to adapt and change. And in the moment you have this practice as okay you have individual coaching the evolution is really to have and and what helps a lot in the resilience in organization is to build a coaching practice and that people that are managing right people managers they have the coaching skills necessary to drive their teams so it's a coaching mindset yeah it's interesting that i've met organizations who some organizations who build who believe very much in coaching, mm-hmm. but they would prefer to have separate coaches to say the sales managers, you know, that might be managing sales teams. Mm-hmm. Um, um, we have other people who believe it's a fundamental part of the sales management philosophy that they need to be a coach in the way they lead and manage their team. Do you have a kind of point of view about which of those two models, you know, might be more successful? Do you think it's best to have specialist coaches where you know the sales managers in that organization will just focus on you know the sales the revenues the how do you coach people to close a deal maybe but that's not really coaching you know that's that's just coaching on a sale no <clears throat> but they have a separate you know they have other people you know that that do the coaching or do you believe that sales managers need to have coaching as part of their sort of uh, skill set you know, that they, is they, a combination. It's a, a combination, combination of, of the two. Because okay. any people manager needs to have coaching skills. Yeah. You need to be able to listen to your people and okay. really drive their thinking. So yeah. you need coaching skills. But it's also important to have external specialized coaching for um, a, a matter of trust. And yeah, because there's your, certain things you're you won't want to discuss with your manager because it will be a, a perceived um, perhaps weakness and it, yeah. yeah and and so on so i can understand that's an interesting it's not the same opening thought. there's yeah, a draw line the right and yeah. a specialized external coach has a chinese wall and mm-hmm. we 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 sign so many confidentiality agreements right so yeah. you can you need to be able to open your heart no matter what and that's it's important when you're choosing your coach that you have this affinity that you mm-hmm. you think with that person i can really open up i really trust because you you mm-hmm. need to be vulnerable you need to open yeah. yourself because it's a self-discovery for you and mm. needs to be. 
Yes, I love this idea of um, of uh, safe space that you mentioned kind of earlier. We we um, and it's one of one of one of the most favourite talks we've had at one of our GST events uh, in London, uh, where we had um, the curator of a museum, Museum of Failure. I don't know if you've heard about this museum. It's based in no. Sweden. Yeah, you should look it up. It's amazing, and and uh, it was on the it was on BBC News, you know, one morning, and 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 they say yes, uh, this museum of failures opened up, and uh, you know that it was there exhibiting products that people have tried to take to market which have failed. You know, so they were they would exhibit the Google glasses and the. Um, uh, plastic bicycles and I, you couldn't believe the number of artifacts and I, I said I must talk to this person um, so I picked up the phone and I managed to get through to the curator and um, oh, wow. and we had a chat about it and he said actually he's a clinical psychologist that's his background he's not a museum person and uh, he, he his belief is that uh, is that we can learn so much from failure and a lot of failing is giving people psychological you know safety you know they the psychological safety to to work in and I, th- I i mean this goes beyond coaching i mean this goes more into the culture of the kind of business you want to run and that people don't mind trying things out making mistakes knowing that that's part of the innovation process as well and you know, so it's a, it's a, and it's this an is part of it's part of resilience and it's part of the growth mindset. If you build an orga- a culture of an organization based on, on people that are doing their jobs for 30 years, exact same job, you're going to have a resilience problem because people are not used to change. They're not ready for it. If you have a culture where people are pushed and, and encouraged to try new things and to learn new skills, you have a complete different mindset. You have a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. And then you yeah. have a learning organization. Absolutely. And I think I think one of the, the other things that I think is, is, is really interesting is the connection between purpose and resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's something that Carol Pemberton talked about on, on uh, one of the other podcasts. And... and um, and yes, in that research, the, which was done with those a group of Hawaii, uh, children in Hawaii, don't know if you, you know, which was, you know, why was it that out of eight hundred children, you know, about a third did really well, a third stayed roughly the same, and a third sort of went backwards, and a lot of it was connected to a sense of purpose that that individual had acquired, maybe through a mentor, you know, I mean, the, these children came from pretty deprived backgrounds. Um, so I, I, I wonder how much of your coaching approach actually connects with this notion of purpose. And I, I you know, I, you know, what is the purpose of the organisation? Maybe for whom there may be a transformation initiative. What is the purpose of the individual, the leader, and whether that forms part of what you, you know, might be coaching around? When you are coaching a leader doing transformation. I always challenge, do you understand the purpose of this transformation and your role in the transformation? Does it make sense to you? What is the sense it makes to you? Can you talk to me a little bit? And when they make this linkage, and then you have an aha moment, right? It's so, now I understand my purpose, the purpose of the whole uh, the, the the whole change or or, or my, the company itself where we are going and my purpose in my role and purpose in in the whole thing and then it's it's it, it, the connections make much more sense and then you have a kind of a motivation aha moment mm-hmm. or not uh, right yeah. <laughs> it depends yeah, on how not. they see yeah so because yeah. of course if there's a misalignment between uh, mm. You know your your purpose and the organization's purpose. Then I guess that's a you know you have to make yeah. a decision. You know. About yeah, because what, what... goes in your core core values, right? Yeah, absolutely. Which which of course is a topic that's very close to to my heart with the uh, research that I did on on the on the doctorate. Um, 
I think what, you know, you, the particular journey that you've had, you know, um, coming into coaching from from your background of business transformation and, you know, the wealth of experience, I think is is is, is very interesting. And I, I, I can't say that I've met that many people in, in, in my world that have actually come to coaching through the journey that you've taken, as I perhaps mentioned a bit before. Um, so I think it's, uh, I think it would be massively, you know, supportive, of, you know, particularly for leaders who are having to, you know, themselves go through so much change. My gosh, the pandemic hasn't that enforced so much change and transformation in the market. But having, having, um, someone to talk to who gets the business transformation side with coaching i think gives your your business a particular you know obviously it's a usp isn't it for you bianca i, I don't yeah. know if that's what you set out to achieve but you know to me it's it's, it's definitely something that stands you out from from many other coaches because of course there's there's many coaches that have you know come to the topic from different backgrounds you know whether it's hr or or whatever um so um is there anything else you'd like to share about your thoughts on coaching before we round up the the talk bianca what what's your feeling is there anything that you'd like to add to the conversation the lovely conversation we've had yeah no i think um the the approach i do to coaching is really i use as a framework the columbia approach the context content and conduct right in 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 other words uh what's what's up what matters what's really important for you and what is next where do we go from there is really building on your strengths through developmental frames and really going to what is this topic important for you right now exploring options challenging you making you see different perspectives understanding your goals your purpose and then driving uh, which actions you want to take for your final goal to be achieved. I really focus on uh, and goal attainment. Where do you want to get from there? Yes. And, so and, that's... I mean, there are other sort of coaching models like Grow and, 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 and others. Um, what, what would you say was the difference between the Columbia approach to coaching and perhaps some of the other approaches to coaching? Well, I was very, um, as an internal coach, I was very driven to grow an Oscar that is really solution driven. And we call this more, um, turns, uh, it's more solution, uh, 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 problem solving uh, situations. Okay. And, 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 and the Columbia one, um, why I chose and why I like it, there are many elements of, of growing it and you can make certainly parallels, but it's more transformational. It's more in self-awareness. It's really build, build, uh, it's, it's lower. It's, it builds slowly your self-confidence to make that decision and, and, and explore options. You're challenging you, but they, they, it, the Columbia approach is very, very in line with the ICF guiding principles. So it's uh, mm-hmm. they they they're incremented, and uh, but that's the difference. It's more transformational. It's it drives more aware self awareness and and behavior transformation. And do do you it's sort of joining. use certain tools to help that self awareness? Whether it's sort of psychometric testing tools or other other yes. means of helping people to understand where they are today and where they might want to go in the future? Well, I'm accredited for Hogan assessments and uh, the, the, those are three assessments combined. One is your strengths and the way you behave in, in your normal conditions. Um, then there's the, the Hogan development survey that for me is extremely important is how you are perceived and how you behave under pressure and under stress. So those are derailers and I call this derailer coaching, uh, coaching when we okay. really go deep on each of your derailers to understand what triggers you to this behavior. So you can, it's never going to change. It's your personality. You have it in your personality, this, those derailers. What's going to change is the way you face it or the way we manage it. And then the third uh, assessment, there's all, 
the three in one is the drivers and your motivators. What kind of work environment really dri drives you, really motivates you? And really is in, and that's where is in the core and the purpose of what you're doing. Okay. So that's that's uh, why I like Hogan so much. I think it's very co uh, complete. And then I'm accredited for uh, the Netherlands Brains Instruments. That is really about your thinking and decision style, the way you think. If you're a strategist, if you're analytical, and with. Now that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of achieved a certain level of experience, when you were telling me your situation analysis, when you were in situation analysis, mm -hmm. I can, by the way you describe your topic, I can already guess on your thinking style. If you are okay. more in the why, in the who, in the what, the way you do the detailing or things that you just go over it, that doesn't seem to be that important for you. I, I, yeah. You can already picture, but I like because it goes re really much on the way you take decisions also. And I challenge okay. sometimes in decisions, which part of the brain is making this decision? Is the real thinking part of the brain or is the impulsive primitive part of the brain, right? Go into behavior economics a bit. <laughs> is that the Daniel Daniel Kahneman? Yeah, yeah I'm a big fan of thinking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think he's just brought out a new book um, called Noise. Yeah, I, don't, I saw it. I, I haven't one. read it yet, but uh, no, me neither. It's, it's, me neither. Uh, yeah, he is amazing, isn't he? <laughs> so, yeah. What yeah. I find amazing about him, just briefly, is the fact that he's um, a behavioral psychologist. Yes, he won the economics uh, Nobel Prize. You know, though yeah. he's a psychologist, not an economist. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> so no, no. He's I, a psychologist. I just, I know, yeah. I know, just uh, just brilliant, and and how clever of the Nobel uh, Society to 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 uh, give him that particular award. I think Bianca, it's been a fabulous conversation. I wish you a Thank huge you. amount of success in your in your venture, and uh, actually, it's been very insightful uh, for me to kind of listen to you talk about about coaching in a, in a new way. And I'm sure our, our listeners will, will, will love listening to you as well. So thank you very much for taking part. Thank you for having me here. It was a pleasure. So I hope you enjoyed this episode with Bianca. If you want to find out more about Bianca and the work she does, uh, you can see that in the links below. And uh, very much look forward to seeing you all on the next episode.